0: How desensitized have we become to the suffering and sacrifice of people slaughtered in the pursuit of someone else's power? Do we take for granted the staggering number of souls lost to the odious turbulence that comes from the bloodshed of war? Are we ignorant to the lives forfeited to battle, and the scarred and traumatized ones left in the wake of ceaseless violence and potent hatred that festers and proliferates in the presence of war? The following is a collection of experiences from two men who survived the horrid events at Pearl Harbor. It's 1941 in Oahu, Hawaii, and Walter Richardson, a Navy man, stationed at Pearl Harbor, was churning uncomfortably in his bunk. He'd been having bad dreams lately, and the prospect of another had kept him up to odd hours of the night. He was finally able to drift off, when he was awoken by screams of excruciating torment. He launched himself to his feet to see his friends and comrades burning alive in a wall of infernal flames. He threw out his hands to help but could not reach them as they writhed in unbearable misery. He was forced to watch them incinerate in front of him while they begged for it to end. Suddenly, Walter forcefully sat up in his bunk and looked around to see everyone fast asleep. His deep, quick breaths, the only sound. He put his hands to his head to feel he was dripping in sweat. took him some time to calm down after seeing such a hellish vision, but eventually he was able to fall back to sleep undisturbed. That morning, Marvin Rudolph Snydeker Another Navy man started his day aboard the USS Tennessee, a dreadnought battleship that was part of the Pacific Fleet. They'd been in Oahu since August, performing training operations in the Pacific, but were now anchored in the harbor, along with the majority of its naval fleet. Marvin had been working very hard to prove himself a worthy seaman and was succeeding. Having gained the respect of his brethren and superiors, he felt he had to work harder than the other sailors as he was only 16 years old, lying about his age to be accepted to join the Navy. Marvin was of average height, thick-set, and very strong. He had grown up on farms during tough times and was used to working hard with a little food in his stomach. He set about his morning duties as normal, occasionally able to enjoy the beautiful Hawaiian skies as he crossed to different portions of the battleship. It was a cool 70 degrees and Marvin thought to himself how it was going to be just another day in Oahu. Back on land, Walter was readying himself for an easy Sunday. He had completely forgotten about his feverish nightmare, and was looking forward to meeting his friends in the mess hall. On his long stroll to the dining area, he appreciated the beauty and charm of the island. Finally arriving at the mess hall, he found his friends and joined them for breakfast crew of young men were joking and laughing with each other as usual. When Walter had a shock of deja vu, he felt as if he'd experienced this all before. Looking around the hall, he slowly realized the people from his hellish dream were all in his vicinity. His train of thought was abruptly halted by a thunderous disturbance coming from outside. Without hesitation, he jumped from his seat, running outside to investigate. He noticed a couple other people had followed him outside when they were struck by a cacophonous bang that threw them in all directions. Walter tried to look all around him, but could only see dust, smoke, and fire. He struggled to stand as the dust and debris began to settle. As his wit slowly came back to him, he could hear screaming amongst the pandemonium. He started to move, noticing he had been struck by a piece of shrapnel on the left leg. Despite the pain, he moved back toward the crumbling building. The smoke cleared just enough for him to see the bedlam and carnage that remained. All of his friends and comrades were still inside, but it was too late, their bodies already charring from the intense heat of the fire. Walter looked upon the site in helpless terror. He snapped himself back to reality and began searching the rubble and debris for survivors in need unaware of the sheer magnitude of the madness transpiring. On the Tennessee, Marvin was going about his responsibilities. When the battleship went into a commotion, sirens and calls for all crew members to go to general quarters could be heard blaring from every corner of the ship. This was an order for all aboard to man their battle stations. As the teenage sailor made his way outside to the designated area, he looked up to see a mass of hundreds of planes in the sky. The smell of smoke filled his lungs, and emergency alarms bellowed from all around. Within minutes, the dreadnought's anti-aircraft weapons tore into the now crowded airspace. Japanese bombers, fighters, and torpedo planes pervaded the air. Marvin struggled to focus as chaos rained down upon him and his fellow sailors. Bullets screamed through the air, seeming to come from every direction. Explosions and sounds of wrenching metal turned his attention to the ships around them. The USS Oklahoma and the USS West Virginia had both been hit by torpedoes and were now sinking in the shallow waters. Oil from the West Virginia billowed out the crippled vessel and floated to the surface. Marvin then saw bombs dropping from the planes, hitting the already sinking warships in the harbor. He ducked down as low as he could, while fighter planes strafed the Tennessee's anti-aircraft guns. His friends were dying in every direction he looked. The bodies of his brothers in arms lay scattered everywhere, and there seemed to be no end to the violent mayhem unfolding from above. Just then, he heard from the water, a voice screaming. Save me! Save me! turned to see a Japanese pilot barely floating in a clear area of water a few hundred yards from them. He then felt someone pull the pistol from his side holster and say, I'll save you, you son of a bitch. One shot was fired and the Japanese pilot was then struck in the head and slowly sunk into the water. Marvin spun to see an aging naval chaplain holding his sidearm. He was shocked that a man of God would react in this way but was brought back to the present when, behind the Tennessee, there was a massive explosion. The USS Arizona had been hit by an 1,800-pound bomb in its forward Ammunition magazine, causing catastrophic damage. The shockwave sent a fireball 500 feet in the air and flaming oil across the stern of the Tennessee, igniting the already leaking oil from the West Virginia. Flames furiously surrounded the Tennessee, which was trapped by a crippled fleet on all sides. Marvin looked onto the water to see sailors from the sinking ships swimming to the surface to be met with brain-piercing pain as the molten-hot burning oil covered them. The screams of hundreds of men burning alive filled his straining ears. This truly was hell, he thought. As the heat from the flames continued to rise, he then heard fellow sailors screaming, There's still men in there! Gesturing to the now-submerged Arizona, Marvin swears he could hear banging and screams coming from the more than 1,100 men trapped in the twisted metal of the ship's remains. Tragically, those unfortunate men would never see the light of day. But once again, Marvin labored to focus on his duties. The ship shook with great force when it was hit with two bombs in succession that failed to explode, but damaged two gun turrets, sending hot shrapnel flying across the ship killing many more men. With only seconds to react to each grisly, gut-wrenching sight, Martin didn't have time to lament or grieve. He knew they had to keep fighting. They battled on as the black ooze blazed like a fiery cage, holding them prisoner until the Japanese planes eventually returned to their carriers. men aboard the Tennessee scrambled to extinguish several blazes on their ship, while rescuing as many as they could from the corpse-riddled harbor. The attack on the island persisted for almost two hours, but the oil burned around the ship for two more days, until they were able to extinguish the hellish flames. The Japanese assault was perpetrated using 67 ships that carried 353 planes, 200 miles from their target. They destroyed three battleships, debilitated 15 others, and decimated the U.S. airfields, completely shattering the ability to immediately retaliate. 2,472 lives were lost that day, brutally torn from existence. As violence begets violence, the U.S. reciprocated with an attack of such calamitous magnitude, it would leave an unhealable scar on the Japanese people. The atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki heinously ended the lives of over 200,000 civilians, leaving behind permanent shadows of those vaporized in the radioactive blasts. Hundreds of thousands more died in the aftermath from the explosions from the radiation or due to grievous injury. The hatred and animus brought on by ravages of war took such a hold as to bring one Japanese general to attempt to stop the recording of the Emperor's surrender after the cataclysmic bombings. Living through the harrowing battle, Marvin would continue his naval career in hopes of creating opportunities for his future family. Unaware of the further abuse he would endure, Marvin was part of the doomed men that were involved in the nuclear bomb tests done at the Bikini Atoll in the Marshall Islands. He remembers being given nothing for protection, but was told not to look at the explosion as their ships were anchored around the island. Marvin recalls the countdown and seeing an immensely bright light before covering his face. The shockwave rocked their battleships and sent out a swell of hot air that shot through Marvin's body, which he said felt as if it were cooking his bones. He was told the cancer that formed many years later because of the radiation he had been exposed to, would take his life within weeks. His death one year after the diagnosis, though tragic, was a testament to how powerfully strong his will to fight truly was. Where did Walter's dream about his burning brethren come from? Was it an entity somehow aware of future happenings? Sending Walter warnings through time? Could there have been some kind of ethereal force watching over him, keeping him alive for some grand purpose? Or was it a fluke, with the dream only happening the night before by chance? Whatever the true origins of the death-forecasting dream, Walter felt extremely lucky to have survived the onslaught at Pearl Harbor. As all places that are marked by a grim abundance of ruin and death, Pearl Harbor, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki are home to what many believe are trapped souls. All three locations are unique in the fact that they are all places of great loss, where the dead are not given proper burials. In Hawaii, the majority of the soldiers still dwell in the waters of the harbor, where in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so many people were instantly disintegrated or later burned in mass cremations. Are spirits of the perished roaming these lands? In Oahu, there are reports of guns firing on the water, apparitions of soldiers still fighting, and disembodied screaming coming from the harbor. On the air base of the island, people experience an intense sensation of anxiety and dread. The airstrip itself is haunted by an ominous glowing mist that prowls above. On the Pearl Harbor Memorial, which resides above the still-sunken USS Arizona, could supposedly hear sailors still calling for help, banging on the walls, begging for an escape from their steel tomb. In Japan, the stories of spirits still roaming the islands are countless. Some speak of Japanese soldiers watching frozen in place. Others tell of many civilians that died near the rivers in search of water only to perish before quenching their thirst. They now haunt the waters and the surrounding areas in search of something to soothe their endless pain. One couple was walking along one of these rivers with their three-year-old son. When the mother noticed her son beguiled by the water, she asked him why he was looking so intently. He replied that he was only staring back at all the people glaring at him from the bottom of the river. Others speak of ghostly figures wandering the streets. When witnessed, they glance up. Scream in absolute terror and agony, and disappear into nothing. Are there really spirits, supernaturally confined to these islands, forced to repeatedly relive their own gruesome death? Or are they imprisoned at these sites, aware of their death and cursed to watch the world around them? If they are real, who or what is keeping them there? Is there a way to unshackle their souls from this plane? freeing them to finally be at peace? Or are they permanently stuck forever cursed without a chance of reprieve? Is it possible that by knowing the horrific history of a place, you become susceptible to the paranormal myths and tales that permeate the area? Are we buying into the fantastical stories from people blinded by grief, hope for something more, or even mental illness? Alternatively, Are we purposefully ignoring the frightening experiences of otherworldly activity in order to protect our own delicate views on existence? Whatever is happening at these locations, there is definitely something palpable in the atmosphere. The tremendous amount of lives lost on these grounds should forever serve as a reminder of the importance of peace and the great value of life. However, they often act as a warning to how quickly the days of calm and mundanity can transform to ones of abhorrent violence and destruction. Subscribe to Black Letters for a new horror story every 13 days.